0: to the So Wizards podcast. I'm Kevin Barone, and today is a Bullets Forever three-point play with Matt Moderno and Osman Babe. And today we're going to kick around a few of the topics that are uh, pressing for the Wizards. So, um, Matt, I think it was you who proposed the idea of talking about tanking, and I assume you didn't mean like uh, swimming, so... Uh, Tee it up. What's uh, what 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 do you what's on your mind with this?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think it kind of goes into like a larger conversation. Post trade, you know, post trade deadline, they clearly made some particular moves. There's no Bradley Beal. Uh, the team has looked better, in my opinion, and I'd be curious to see what you guys think. But uh, even against weaker competition, I, it, there seems to be more energy and enthusiasm there overall. So uh, the question is. Do we want them to win at this point? Like, is is this bad for us? Is it better if they lose? Like, where are you guys kind of at with what their goals should be for the rest of the season?
2: I I think part of this is kind of surmising or it it is good that we took a few days to kind of get this together because there were so many moving parts on trade deadline day and uh, kind of seeing the finished product, seeing what we have after the fact and and kind of where we are. Salary-wise, what have you, it's nice to kind of let everything kind of settle, see dust settle, see where we are. Um, in the immediate aftermath of the trade deadline, everyone's immediate, uh, when you were on Twitter, the immediate feedback was hey, let's shut Porzingis down for the year. Let's tank all the way to the fifth spot or like try to get into that bottom five. One thing that I thought was pretty funny about that was I have a hard time finding teams that are in the lottery right now that are actually trying to win. So it's one of those things where Yes, that sounds great. Hey, let's lose. Let's lose. But everyone else is kind of trying to lose also. I mean, amongst the teams behind us, let me just quickly list them out. I mean, you have the Lakers now, or that or and they're obviously trying to win. The Knicks, I don't know what they're trying to do. Even if they're trying to win, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. They're just I think losing. the
1: Knicks know what they're trying to do.
2: <laughs> you got the Trailblazers who, tra- who traded everyone. Dame is shut down. They're pro- they've won a few games, but they're not trying to win. Pelicans are trying to win. That could be one. The Spurs they're playing better. I don't know if they're really trying to win, but they're playing better. Kings are probably trying to win. Pacers, Thunder, Rockets, Magic, Pistons, none of them are trying to win. And even if we hard tank, we are not making up six games on them in like 20, with 25 games left on the schedule. So that's the reality of it that I think people didn't take a look at. I'm still kind of trying to come to like my conclusion in terms of what I want to see, but I think that's a good starting point in this discussion. There, you know, there's only so far down we could go.
0: Yeah. So I I agree with that, and as I look at it, I I think your point is 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 a good one. I mean, there are seven teams that are basically perfectly fine. Eight, if you count the wizard perfectly fine with losing all or most of the rest of their games. You know the the way I think about tanking is it's much more of an organizational. It's like it's a general manager, team president kind of decision, uh, really, and and. I think you do it more with the roster than with um than, than with like the coaching cuz you don't want the coach to to be thinking about trying to lose games and you don't want the players thinking about well we 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 want to lose games. You, you just kind of want to uh organizationally lose them while you're trying to win or while you're at least acting like you you want to win. And so, you know, Maybe maybe how Neto is your starting point guard instead of say somebody good or <laughs> you know what I'm saying or maybe you start Thomas <laughs> Bryant even though you know he's a train wreck defensively because you know it's like it, it, it's okay you can teach him you can he can play hard he can do his best and if it's not good enough well okay you lose and if it turns out that he suddenly gets it and becomes terrific well then you maybe you win a few games but you also win because. got a player who's gotten better so if they play you know avdia and hachimura and kispert and they start winning that's not necessarily a bad thing because that that would signal that they're improving right so you want the players to try and to play their best and you want the team overall the coaching staff should be uh, planning they should be taking the players through the process of what it takes to win um, and then you know, maybe you you sit Porzingis for every back-to-back or you, uh, you know, sit him out for a few extra games because, you know, hey, a bone bruise can't be too careful, right? You know, that's the kind of thing.
1: My reading between the lines of the Tommy Shepard post-trade deadline, you know, press conference kind of aligns with that. There was a lot of, uh, yes, Porzingis told me he's fully healthy. Well, we haven't seen Porzingis yet because they're being cautious with the knee. and. I don't expect us to be uh, active in the buyout market, and we do want to prioritize development and getting minutes for some of these younger guys. So, you know, whether Rui's on a minutes restriction or whoever they've got sort of, you know, they're they're kind of handcuffing themselves a little bit here. Just if they win games, I think he's happy to have that. and. If they make a play in and Ted's happy, so be it. If they don't, I think this is the free pass for them to not make it that year without Ted looking like a liar with the we'll never tank thing. It would be organic to be able to say, "Ah, but no Beal, you know, when we have all of our players, we always try to make the playoffs. So I think this is sort of like a free pass for them, whatever the direction goes. If they make the playoffs, they can celebrate it. Uh, if they don't, but the guys look good, young, the young guys look good late, then you can say, look, our young guys got better, we're better for next year. And if you just suck, it's all shucks, at least we ended up with a better lottery pick. So it's like kind of a win, win, win for them, as long as they don't do dumb stuff here, in my opinion. Yeah.
0: And as long as the as long as the young players. Let's put it this way, like if Hachimura and Abia basically suck the rest of the year, right. That's important information to have. You know, if you're playing an extended minutes and they're not good, that gives you important information about how to build your team and the kind of moves to make. And so, um, you know, it's it's important that people play hard regardless. And also, you want enough competent players out there that you can have a cohesive, um, you know, cohesive basketball experience. You don't want to be like Detroit with Killian Hayes out there where it's just, a debacle, you know, and there were times last night where I'm watching the game and I was just like staggered at how bad the Pistons were.
2: And that's actually, it's a good point that you brought that up and it kind of makes me laugh because you see the Pistons, they're obviously trying to take, but they're also playing the number one, number one from last year or this past draft. They're playing two of their first round picks. Did they have three first round picks last year? It was Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart was a first-round pick, and I believe, Killian and Jimmy Hayes. Hayes. Yeah. So they had their four most recent first-round picks available, in addition to their prized trade ship, Jeremy Grant. And they cannot even beat the Wizards. And, and really, actually, I think it was what a, it was it was what maybe a nine-point win or a ten-point win. But it never, I never really felt like, oh no, Detroit's going to win this game. It felt like it was under control the entire time. So what does that speak for? What Detroit is actually actually accomplishing? Other than getting a high high you know lottery odds for next season. I mean they're their young players that they are hoping should be able to beat this wizards <laughs> wizards team are not looking that good. But anyways, enough about them. Uh, back to us. I think, yeah, I think it's it's important that the right players are playing the right minutes and kind of what Kevin said, like look, if if they play well, great. I think what's been interesting over these past three games, the younger players have played better. I'm not gonna to say well, but they've played better. so, I think Hachimura, Avdia, Kispert, they've had pretty good, Kevin, I think I'd have to look at it, but I think their PPAs have been pretty good the past three games since the deadline, pretty good-ish, like in the 100-ish range, which is an improvement for them. Yeah, they've, um, been, they've been okay. Yeah, so you've, you've had some improvement there. It's funny that the, the players that seem to still be struggling are the veterans on the roster, who could be like, you know, like you mentioned, Howell Netto, who's, who's had one good game, but a couple of tough games. Uh Caldwell Pope is interesting because he just like he got here and he just thinks that he's this on ball player and trying these like fancy dribble moves, fadeaway jump shots early in the shot clock. It helps the tank, but it's tough to watch during the tank. Like, you know what I mean? I don't, it's kind of like one of those things. Like he helps, he helps that purpose, but the young guys aren't touching the ball because a player is operating completely out of his skill set. So I still struggle with that a little bit.
1: I'm, I'm like generally anti-tank. Like I I wouldn't go the process route personally if I were a GM. I think there are different ways to I do agree. that. Like being bad is one thing. Being organically bad and young is one thing. Bottling them out completely with half a roster full of guys that wouldn't even actually be good G League players, I, I don't find beneficial. But taking old vets who are kind of too washed up to play with a lot of young guys and just not winning, I, I'm okay with. So. That's all preface to say, I don't actually want to see the Wizards win another game this year, if at all possible. If I know the schedule is bad, but we're also kind of bad and, and I'm, I'm just very okay with it. I don't want to see much for Zingus. I do want to see enough to see how he looks with certain guys so that maybe next year you can hit the ground running. I think that has hurt us. Like I watch a lot of college basketball and the teams that have done well are the teams with more pieces that have been together more general continuity and I don't know that that directly translates the same way in the NBA but I do think it helps you if you have guys that are familiar with each other going into the next season so seeing combinations of players that make sense and knowing that in advance I think is beneficial can KP play next to Kuzma and Rui and Denny at the same time is that a group that does anything with an ish Smith to set the table like uh, can Kispert play two next to Denny at three? Like just kind of figuring out how your puzzle pieces at least sort of align, I, mm-hmm. I think is really beneficial uh, to give you a jumpstart for next year at the very least.
2: One combination I'd like to see, and I'd like to see for a decent amount, I, I, what are they, maybe 25 games left? I don't need to see it for 25 games. I, Unless they are right there on the play-in line, I don't expect to see Porzingis for like the last one or two weeks of the season but for a 10 to 15 game sample size i would like to see porzingis at the five kuzma at the kuzma rui and abdia somewhere two through four i would like to see that group of four together because i think there's high defensive upside there and i think it could be an a look that challenges the opponent because of how long that team would be and how interchangeable that team could be defensively now can they do enough offensively I don't know I mean really the the fifth piece, the main piece to that would be deal when he comes back, but I would like like see that's something Look, if they play those four together. And they do some fun things and they pull off some upsets that they're not supposed to pull off and have some nice stretches of basketball that goes back to being it's a good data point it's fun to watch I don't mind if they win that type of game, but I just want to see it, you know I don't want to see. um a netto caldwell pope anthony gill lineup for 40 minutes a night <laughs> Yeah. Uh,
1: so this is a question for you guys too like i'm just generally of the opinion well all right i've been doing a lot of like pre-draft prep stuff and i want to do more about this later as we go along here but i keep saying i still would love to see a three and d wing somewhere on this roster at some point in time and the reaction i always get to that is oh God, if the Wizards draft another forward, I'm going to lose it. Hmm. I hate that take so much because if you draft the same position year after year after year and you draft it poorly, it doesn't mean you filled that hole. So to me, KCP is not a good starting three on a playoff team. To me, Rui is not a good starting three on a playoff team. To me, Denny is not a good starting three on a playoff team. I'm not saying that they're not all valuable players but the Mikhail Bridges mold player does not exist anywhere on this roster. And and if I were prepping for the draft, that's the position I'd be targeting because I think that's the hardest thing to get in free agency, given where they are cap space wise. So you can find a decent enough point guard to bring the ball up, defend a little, hit some shots and hand the ball to Beal and get the hell out of the way in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I agree with you, they desperately need a win. Um, that they they haven't had one. I mean, like a legit small forward. Yeah. You know, we've talked about this before, but I, I view uh Ken Davies call of Pope as his ideal role is that small forward shooting guard playing, you know, 20, 24 minutes a game off the bench. Yeah. And I mean, that's the role he had with the Lakers when they won their title. Um, you know, Kuzma was coming off the bench too um, for that team when they won their title. And I really think, I mean, I went wrote about it um, right, right before the trade deadline, but basically it's like everyone on the roster except for Beal, really their ideal role is coming off the bench, right? It's like as a, as a good sub. And so <clears throat> I think they have lots of room. I mean, in terms of the draft, I say just pick the best player, whatever position, you know, whatever wh- whoever that is, just that's who you pick and worry about the rest of it later, you know, because I think, like you said, you can get, a competent, you know, some a good enough point guard to, to sort of be a placeholder. You can um, get by with, with some of the guys who will be available um, at that position until you can get somebody, um, you know, more dynamic and better. I mean, you, you can play a three and D point guard. Um, you can probably sign Satoransky for the, the minimum. You know, if they're Oz's guy. Um
2: <laughs> but you could probably get him for
0: the minimum this off season. Yeah. Um you could probably bring Neto back. Not sure you want to, but you could. Um but the thing the Wizards haven't had for a while, like you say, is that three D. I mean, obvious certainly has the D part, but he's he's got a lot of work to do in that three point shot. So you know
2: and, it's and Rudy it's might have the three now. The but He's more yeah. of a 4-5 or, five or th- than a 3-4, though, in my opinion. I don't think you want him consi- – he's really someone who could, who could switch, and they've been doing a lot of switching when him and Avidio are on the floor together, but I don't think you want to start him on the game guarding a traditional small forward. So, uh, but yeah, I, I kind of agree with Kevin where, the, the, yes, this team needs a 3 and D wing, but you could also fill that role via point guard, and given that we don't have that many high-end starters, just take the best player available – um I by the way, i'm, I'm not a...
1: suggesting reach for a wing i'm just yeah. saying all things no. being equal if you're split between uh jalen duran who's a five and we've got a bunch of fives and a wing i would take a wing
2: yeah that's reasonable yeah, yeah if, if
0: they're equivalent sure i mean if it's like the same thing you're picking fifth and you've got like a small forward a shooting guard and a center um, sitting there for you to pick and you've got them all rated about the same yeah sure go ahead and pick the the small
1: forward that, that's just always the tiebreaker for me because you you just can't get that elsewhere when you see what kind of money those guys make there's no move tommy shepard can move like do to like shoehorn in a mm-hmm. wing from somewhere else basically yeah
2: so i do have a question about like another thing to maybe approach these last 25 games with during this kind of last stretch in in, in addition to looking at our own players like the giving in the like having a good opportunity good minutes for Rui, Danny, Kispert and, and seeing what they could do sink or swim would you take this opportunity like this team needs some luck and they're pretty much capped out if deal stays they need kind of like a lightning catch lightning in a bottle a Tyreek Evans got his suspension lifted he was he was someone early in his career who was very good and then he had moments up or down I think he kind of floated between the one and the two I always thought he was more effective as a one, less effective as a two because a jump shot's not great. Is someone like him worth, like you're not going to get a, a Goran Dragic because he's going to go to a contender. I'm not sure what Tyreek Evans is looking for. If he's looking just for minutes, if he's looking, is that someone that you would take a stab at to say, hey, come in, let's see what you like. And maybe he's a cheap re-sign in the offseason or is, would you pass on that?
0: Um, I, I would probably pass. Um, I, I wasn't that enamored with Evans to, to start with, you know, so I think he's been out of the league now a couple of years. Usually that kind of a layoff is not great for, um, for, for the quality of play for guys. Um, so I would probably take a pass on that.
1: Um, yeah, I, I, I'm with Kevin here. I, I just wouldn't take any veterans on I posted a list of guys available in the buyout market, and a lot of people were like, oh, we got to get DJ Augustine because we need another point guard on the roster. I'm like, so you're now you're going to rotate between Neto-ish and Augustine? Like, none of these guys help you long term. And again, I, I'm not in favor of them actually winning. So I would take whatever young piece has some, like, glimmer of potential that may be left to be untapped that could turn into a productive role player or even end of bench guy. Those are the only people I would be trying to add in that last roster spot to like fill out minutes. Mm-hmm. Can this dude be a cheap guy we could rehabilitate and and try to add on next year and replace Anthony Gill and people like that? I, I appreciate that Gill is a nice veteran and the guys really seem to like him and he does adult things on a team that needs adults. But, you know, that he's a limited NBA player at best in my opinion. So could one of these younger guys that's, you know, Uh, Like available, a Jamias Ramsey or somebody that was a first round pick, could a fresh start in a new place kind of give them some life again? And and I think mostly, if I remember, Evans primarily played as a small forward for Memphis in his last go round, uh, because they didn't want him to like handle the ball too much, and they were kind of desperate for like additional wings and, and i think he shot it reasonably well for them that last year if i remember yeah. correctly
2: well the reason i mentioned the him, is, I him is
1: he's oh, he's right. in his 30s now I mean,
2: yeah. he's, he's i was surprised he's 30. 32 yeah. yeah
1: so he's he's
0: a lot older than uh he, he doesn't fit a timeline of, of yeah. building to anything
2: i thought of him though because you know how tommy always goes back to people that he's kind of been high on in the past sure. and i i believe Fair in that anything. draft that was a hardened draft and Michael Lee had their draft board after the trade was made with the Timberwolves. I believe it's the, it's the year that they traded, they traded back for Randy for Mike Miller, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think Evans Ugh. was third on their board, third or fourth on their board. He was definitely like, I, like it was Blake Harden Evans in some order like that. Michael Lee had that and I'll, I'll try to find and post that along with this. And then I do recall when he was on Memphis in 2016, 2017, when we were the year we lost to the Celtics in the playoffs. We tried to get Evans at the deadline, offer two second round picks to the Mm -hmm. Grizzlies and uh, John Hollinger turned us down. Damn, Hollinger
1: was always screwing us. And now he's promoting terrible, terrible NBA coverage, in my opinion.
2: And then he tells, he then he criticizes teams for not trading their expirings for second round picks when he did not do the same thing. (laughs)
1: And also says he would never draft a center in the first round of any draft, but each of the last three years has had multiple centers in the top five of his pre-draft rankings. Okay, so that's my Hollinger rant. <laughs>
0: that's very funny. I, I was—I haven't followed him that closely. I mean, I listen to his podcast, but uh, that's very funny.
1: Uh, just sticking with those waiver wire guys for one second here, guys. Here, here are kind of the names that are at least available-ish. You've got Armani Brooks, who played at Houston more of like a combo, more like a three and D two guard almost, kind of like smaller KCP, I would say. He played summer league for the Wizards, so maybe that's another guy, Tom, you would like. Michael Carter-Williams, which is the Tyreek Evans thing to me, would be a hard pass. PJ PJ Dozier, who was good in Denver, but is out for the year, I want to say. Drew Eubanks for the Spurs, no thank you. Etuan Moore, another veteran shooter. Paul Watson, I'll be honest, I don't even know who that is. And you've got uh, guys that were released later in the day, DJ Augustine, DeAndre Bembry, Moses Brown, who was like a gigantic human being that had like a, a few like 2020, 2015 20, 20, kind of games and then was largely awful the entire rest of his time. Uh, Abdul Nader, Casey Akpala, Jamias Ramsey, and a guy I love pre-draft, Robert Woodard. Like a six eight small forward wing guy. he didn't really fit in uh, in San Antonio, so uh, that's' or not San Antonio um, I'm drawing a blank where he played uh maybe Minnesota, I'll look, but anyway some some those are the kinds of guys I would prefer they try to take a look at. If you need a wing, go look at wings that might be available on the market that you could turn into something. Any name there that appeal to any of you guys in, in any in, you know any way, I guess. Woodard was in Sacramento last season. That's remember. what it was. Sacramento. Yep. Yeah. Wrong on yeah. his team.
2: And I believe he had oh, were issues on the draft. Like he slipped on the draft in the draft because there were maybe some off court issues. Or am I thinking of the, someone else? Maybe. Not, not that
1: I remember. I think okay. he was pretty, pretty well liked, but I could be wrong. No
2: one that I could think of. I mean, another center doesn't really make sense because they've gotten burning carry and actually Kevin, I think that's a, I did want to ask you, because I remember you, you did look at him pre-drafts last year. Mm-hmm. What was you, your take on Vernon Carey before the draft? So I had him, his, his
0: production was outstanding. And there were just, it's like, but at the same time, it was the kind of production that kind of discount. I still had him rate, I think like 13, 14, something like that in draft. Um, but that's mainly, again, that's a mainly a production measure. Remember, uh, mm-hmm. because my approach is is completely statistical, right? right. I don't want to, um, try, I try to avoid letting the subjective stuff come in. And um, I don't really ding players for being like undersized as much as perhaps um, others do. And so, uh, but th- basically it's like there were everything about him physically is a red flag in terms of making the transition from college to, to the pros. Like he's, he's short for his position. He's not particularly, he doesn't have like long arms or anything like that to make up for. It's not like Dewan Blair, 6'8" six, eight, with like a seven, four wingspan. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, he, it is kind of he's slow, he doesn't jump very well, he, his lateral movement is poor. It's like being so mean about it. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, no, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. It's I'm being realistic. And so yeah. is it worth a shot? Sure. You know, absolutely take a shot. But I mean I think and that trade was not about getting Vernon Carey or Smith or even a second round pick. That was, I'm sure they shopped Montrez all over the league. And the best they got were second round pick offers. And so they traded him to Charlotte because Montrez is from North Carolina, and that's where he most wanted to go. And um, basically doing a favor for him. They knew that they weren't going to keep him around, so he's going get anything for him, sure.
2: So and we never ish, actually totally adult. Yeah. I, mean. yeah, I think Ish's presence back, I wouldn't be surprised if he was going to pick up his option for next year, although they could probably re sign him for cheaper if they just let him kind of hit the market, come back for like the biannual. But I wouldn't be surprised if they just have him as a, as a backup point guard. But, to play one case. thing that's funny
0: is, you know, it's only two games, but Ish has played like really well yeah. here in Washington. Mm-hmm. He's been trash in, in Charlotte. He's been just as bad at Almeida. Yeah. Um, so and- I
2: remember you saying that. But the, the so the one difference to me is, I, I get they were both bad but but one at least has a resume of playing point guard in the NBA. Whereas Neto, I'm watching him play right now and he is trying his damnedest to like get any separation from his defender, eyes down. It's like 15 seconds into the shot clock before he desperately finds someone to pass the ball off to. And it's just so painful to watch. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, Neto,
0: we've talked about this. I mean, he yeah. was he's a shooting guard in a point guard's body.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, his
0: best season was, was last
2: season and
0: that was, he was playing off of Westbrook and Beal for the
2: most part. But it is amazing that his jump shot has totally disappeared. Yeah. I can't explain it. But even when he gets wide open, I was at the Kings game and he would get driving like driving kick opportunities. No one would be near him and they were not even close to going in.
0: Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> a, it's astounding. He gets these wide open looks and they're just absolute bricks. I mean, like yeah. Not,
2: but in general, just on the deadline in general, so what did, like, I guess this kind of circles into the whole, ties back into the whole tanking, like, I guess we never, yeah, we haven't recorded since then. What did you guys, what were your guys' general takeaways just from the deadline as a whole?
0: Um, I, I thought what they did was fine. I mean, they, they everyone they traded was somebody who wanted a, a new NBA home, right? So that was good. Basically, they, they cleaned out all the guys who, who wanted to go somewhere else and all the guys who were unhappy and, and who were, you know, Perhaps a little more vocal about their complaint. Um, in terms of talent, I like that they got Porzingis. You know, it's here's the thing: is it was it, it's a gamble because he's hurt. You know, he, when he plays, he's a very good player. Um, it's just that he doesn't play much because he's hurt so frequently. Now, the the good thing about that, so the Wizards, as they were constructed, who basically set up to continue losing, right? So you could lose with Bertans and Dinwiddie and uh, Harold, you can lose with those guys and you can lose with some of those guys next year too. They could have brought back Dinwiddie and Bertans and they would have lost, right? But so they traded for Porzingis now. And if he stays healthy and plays well, the team will win more games. They're, they will be better. They could maybe even get as high as like seventh or sixth, possibly in the East, right? I mean, I could see him getting that high if Porzingis, say, plays 70 games, and, you know, 30 minutes a game kind of thing, and he's as good, uh, you know, basically like an all-star level producer. You know, yeah, that, that he at least gives them a second person who can perform at an all-star level, whether he makes that or not, right? And so, and then on the other hand, if he is injured and plays poorly, or if he's injured and can't play at all, well, they lose, right? And they were gonna lose <laughs> anyway, and maybe they lose more because they don't even have the, the, the mid guys that, uh, you know, that they, they would have had if they had Captain Woody for Terrell, et cetera. So the way I look at it is they've introduced some more variability into their outcomes. You know, the, their, their range of wins is now much wider than it was before. And that's a good thing. Um, so th- they might be a little bit better than they would have been, a few games better than they would have been by tr- making these deals and getting Porzingis. And they could be worse. And neither one of those is necessarily a bad
1: thing for them. See, I personally, I, I, the only part of that I'll disagree with is I just don't see a situation where it makes them worse. To me, having Dinbody on the floor was like an overall negative, what, whatever the numbers bear out to say about his year. I, I just didn't think he helped them win games, uh, for, for the most part, like a couple here or there where he, he did some nice things or whatever. But for the most part, I found his play to be a net negative and Barton's wasn't going to play, so if both of them were, like, largely unhappy behind the scenes, worst case scenario to me, this is addition by subtraction, or at the very least, neutrality by subtraction, right, like, I I just think, uh, I just can't see why they they get worse, and I think it gives them a, a considerable chance of being better, so I loved that move, I was in full panic mode about, like, Five minutes before that move got made during the deadline because i just didn't know what we were doing or if we were doing anything and i was worried about worst case scenario but i'm i'm cool with it
0: well i I think one other point that i what one other point that um is they traded away like uh, the guys who weren't happy right which is fine one thing just to keep in mind is they inquiring poor they got a guy who was chronically on Yep. He, he was miserable in New York, basically forced his way out of there. Um, he was miserable in Dallas, and he got miserable in Dallas quick. And he's not somebody who just, like, sucks it up and plays. He is somebody who will uh, – he, he will complain, he will gripe, and he gets on his teammate's nerves. So, and, you know, he he he's that big man, too, where he wants to play post-up, even though he sucks at it. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> he's a very good player, but he's got to be like harnessed. He's got to be directed. and somehow or another, you have to figure out a way to if you maybe not you're not going to make him happy, but at least keep him from being vocally unhappy.
1: so so here's the the caveat I threw that story off. Um, it's one potentially unhappy guy as opposed to three potentially unhappy guys. you You can that's deal true. with one guy being kind of a diva, I think more so than you can deal with a third of your roster being a diva. Oh, and, yeah, that's very true. Yeah.
2: I also think this, like he was unhappy, but he was good when he played still yeah. and he was better than Dinwiddie and Bertans. That's why I like the critique. Was like, Oh, he'll never play. It's like, well, even, well, Bertans didn't play. And Dinwiddie when he was playing with Beal basically did not play. So you gave up in essence. I mean, to me, they, uh, it's tough. It's hard to say, but they literally gave up nothing to me and they got, and they got Przingis. And I think this goes back to something. So over the past couple of years, the suggestion is, has been pick a lane. And the argument was like, hey, let's just trade our recent draft picks and future draft picks for players, like in, players that have hit the market over the past couple of years, like Vucevic, Gordon, Aaron Gordon. I can't think of like off the, like DeMar DeRozan when he hit the market, obviously in hindsight, DeRozan would have been great, but no, you know, but like players like that, like an Aaron Gordon type, those were the suggestions, go get them. That's kind of your all in move. I don't think they, those were all in move necessarily. That said, we... We now have gotten, like as Kevin, as you mentioned, like a second all-star caliber player, someone who could play at an all-star level, not like a, necessarily an all-star, but someone who could play at that level without having given up anything. So what you have available to you still, you still have, if you want to trade Avdia, if you want to trade your 2022 draft pick on draft night, they can't trade, they could not trade this first round pick ahead of the draft. But they can draft for a team on draft night and trade that selection after the fact. So that's an avenue open to them. So if they want to make another move, if they want to go get another player, like I know I, I'm not suggesting this one because I think there'll be some difficulties in retaining him and, and a Kyle Kuzma, but like a Brogdon, for example, you could, go, you could now have the assets to maybe go get a Malcolm Brogdon in the offseason or go get, go get other players that are under long, veteran players under long term contract. And now instead of adding just that player to Beal. Now you're adding that pale, that player to Beal to Porzingis to Kuzma, you have something there more than what you previously had in the past. By not trading anything of value, they could still make another move conceivably down the road. You get somebody that's
1: maybe equivalent to Sabonis on on you know their best day, and maybe not, but but reasonable approximation. Uh, like you said, without giving up assets, and, and just on the hey Porzingis never plays thing. He's played 34 games and by all accounts probably could have played another 5 if it had actually mattered. And Berton's has played 34 games and Dinwiddie's played 44 and a handful of those Dinwiddie games it looked like he was dragging a leg behind him and probably shouldn't have played. So that that to me is also kind of a net neutral uh in, in terms of like games played too like it, it's Has, you know, Dinwiddie been the shining example of health in his NBA career? Eh, not so much. So I I think, again, that's another kind of wash to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, and like I said, they gave up guys that they wanted to be rid of. It it wasn't like they gave up something that was really important to them. And uh, so, you know, hopefully it works out. And then at least, at very least, they got rid of, they traded off some of their, like, they're mid, as Ron would say, and they got back a guy who is a legitimate starter when healthy and who is, you know, a, a good player. He's a, he's an all-star level performer uh, when he's healthy. And so, you know, that that's a good thing. They haven't had somebody at that level. They haven't had two guys at that
1: level in a long time. <laughs> Let's not count out Super Kuz, uh, who was <laughs> a baller again the other night
0: well we'll see i'm not as sold on kuzma being like the third star
2: get on the bandwagon kevin you said 20 games we're now at 24 games we'll have to just wait now 40 games but he's had some real
0: duds in there too so you know he's had some he 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 has good games and then you'll have a couple bad games and it's weird how folks don't seem to notice the bad games as much all right fun police
1: (laughs) (laughs) Guys, I, I think I'm just sort of generally curious here. Like, what would the starting five you'd like to see of the remaining guys be the rest of the year? Like, if, if all things being equal, everyone is healthy, what's the group you'd like to see them roll out? Um, or at least play maybe the, the most major impactful minutes together?
2: I'd like to see them get a little weird. Go Ish, Avdia, Rui, Kuzma, Porzingis. Basically, you have Przingis who could spread the floor. Uh, I mean, you basically, yeah, you're playing with you have a extremely long team and one very small but very fast point guard, and just get weird and see how it works. You know, it could be fun, could be disastrous. You have a couple three point shooters in there. You have some pay, You have some speed. You have a couple downhill guys. You know, it could be interesting.
0: I wouldn't mind seeing them do that, do that kind of thing for like do five game stretches, start different mm-hmm. guys. I'd like to see them try, you know, I, I don't care who the point guard is, whether it's Neto or or ish, but um playing Kispert, starting Kispert and Avdia together would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Starting KCP and Avdia together would be interesting. Um Kuzma certainly is is the best of the power forwards they have. Um and then at center, assuming Porzingis is available, he, he should he should play um and i'd like to see i mean it's it's interesting they're, they're back to the three-headed monster at the, at center you know i don't think that they would play play that but um you know bryant seems like he's likely to be the odd man out um at the end of the year he'll probably be end up somewhere else next year just based on how things are going um you know, Porzingis gets back, Porzingis is sort of the plus version of, of Bryant in the sense that he's, mm-hmm. he's a pretty good three point shooter, he can uh, do a, a lot of the same sort of skill things and he actually plays. defense. So.
1: so, Kevin, I got a question for you here and I don't expect you to know this off the top of your head, but you might have like an idea for general trends. When a player is like a good three point shooter for like multiple seasons, so like you have a real you know, sample size of them being, let's say, around a 40% three-point shooter. Mm -hmm. And then they have a year where they just, like, inexplicably crater. Like, Porzingis is a 37% guy, and then this year has been really kind of bad for the most part, uh, shooting the ball. But do guys rebound from that typically? Like, are they blips, or is that usually a sign of, you know, sustained drop-off? Like, the Beal thing. I assumed his first bad year was, like, kind of an aberration, and he would be you know, he would recover at some point, but he never really has. So I'm just curious if you have any sense for like how that plays out more times than not.
0: Um, th- I, there are lots of examples of guys who are like good three point shooters. They have a down year and they come right back. Okay. And the other way too, where you have guys who, you know, are like 33 percent or 32 percent for several seasons, and then suddenly one year they shoot you know 39 mm-hmm. percent, and you're thinking, okay he's really turned he the corner and Ruben, and the next year, they're right back down to 32%. Um, so, you know, I'm not too sure. What, basically what a guy does over a relatively small sample does not necessarily show what he, you know, his true shooting level. And so mm-hmm. this season, you know, Porzingis percentage is down, um, Odds are it'll come back up. I mean, that that would be my my bet. Um, there there actually is a really weird way to forecast it, which um, I can, I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll run the numbers later, but um, it's a, it's called the stat padding method where you basically add in um, additional three-pointers. and, okay. and kind of even know. it out. It's nerdy, but um, it's weird and it, it actually works pretty well. So in other words, I don't think he's really a 28, 29%. Three point shooter going forward my guess is he's probably closer to that you know 36 30s, 30s
2: so.
0: yeah
2: because yeah. beale the- uh, actually i'm glad you mentioned sorry matt um, i'm glad you mentioned Beal. i think part of the reason kind of circling this ties into the question you just asked why i wanted to kind of see that line of avdia rui kuz kuzma and kcp i mean beale's in all likelihood let's just assume he's going to be back unless he gets, unless he asks out, reassign and trade, let's just go into the assumption that he's going to be back because that's their plan. Fixing a lineup around him, I'm kind of over the whole, hey, let's get a veteran, let's, let's try our sixth veteran point guard like in successive years around him and hope that it works. I'm kind of in that, hey, if he wants to be lead guard, let him be lead guard because I am not sure anymore that he could function as an off-ball player at a high level because his game is not trended that way. He wants to be a lead, lead guard. That's kind of what he's turned into when the shot has disappeared. Not over just one year, like kind of Kevin pointing to your, sometimes there could be a blip. This seems to be a consistent trend down over the last four or five years with his shooting. So I think one way to hide him going forward is having that uber long lineup behind him um, of interchangeable defenders. Also having players that just don't, out of that lineup, who really is going to hold the ball that long? And I can't like Kuzma will have it sometimes, but no one's going to really take the ball out of Beal's hands. So it's really like if they have to work around Beal, how best to work around him. Now, I would still take a point guard, probably draft a point guard and develop one behind that lineup and maybe have someone who nominally starts, like maybe like a Sadrowski, for example, like we've already talked about, I always talk about every week. Someone like that, but like the major minutes, I'd like to see like kind of Beal with those big wings, assuming no other major changes, which I'm sure are going to come over the summer. Um, because I think it covers up a lot of Beale's flaws that I think we have to just kind of accept now. And I I think the other thing I'm a little, I wouldn't say worried. I could see a scenario where the end of the season goes pretty well. They do, they beat expectations because there are no expectations now. So anything they do now is kind of more fun, more refreshing. You've heard that word a lot. What happens when Beal comes back next year and he's like, I'm the leader, the ball goes through me. I'm the best player on the team. Are we just re- are we just rewinding this entire thing again?
1: Wizards basketball is inherently mediocrity deja vu. I think yeah. like we're just we're in the time loop that says that the same thing will keep repeating itself. I think one thing they might be able to do to offset that a little bit is each of the guys they've tried next to Beal. You know, since Beal has considered himself a, an alpha or whatever have been guys that also see themselves that way. Wall sees himself that way. Westbrook clearly sees himself that way. And honestly, it sounded like Dinwiddie saw himself that way too, or at least trending in that direction. I would go after whoever you think is like a super role player point guard and, you know, like isn't going to have the ego, isn't going to need a crazy high usage next to him. It's a guy that's going to play some defense, keep the ball moving, to your point about super sato like whoever the guy is that's the current equivalent of what sataransky was the year he was really good here like something like that but more so someone that just like knows that they're coming in to be you know backcourt robin to beals batman right
2: like a complimentary you're here to be a complimentary role player you're not here to be our advertised best backcourt in the east and (laughs) and best backcourt in the nba
1: (laughs) this is the thing my guy larry hughes always talked about was you need to be having like very in-depth like deep conversations with people before you bring them in on free agency regarding how they see themselves telling them how you see them does you no good it needs to be like fully aligned that we've asked you What role you think you want to play, what role you think you're best suited for, like what you're trying to be when you get here, because just because the salaries match and you think they make sense on paper, if you're bringing them in to be a role player and they think they're like a, you know, a blossoming star, you have disaster, like, you know, in your future, no matter what. And and Larry said in his experience, it's surprisingly infrequent that GMs ask that question about like what what do you see yourself being in the future and then he goes you end up in the locker room and guys are like this is bullshit like i i should be the number 2 on this team and it's like bro you you're the 5 mm-hmm. or the 6 like <laughs> dial it down enough like so yeah I, that's what they need it, to be aware of i think
0: it's it's a, it's a weird function where a lot of times in free agency it feels almost it feels more like how can i say this so it feels more like the 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 gms are recruiting
1: It's college recruiting again. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, it's and it's like it's not like a regular like a job interview where you know we're going in, say I'm interviewing for a job, right? I'm going in and I'm trying to convince them this Mm -hmm. is why you should hire me. Now they are also trying to convince me that this is why I should choose them, right? But there's less of that with the, the the at the NBA level where it seems more like the the players are the ones who really are making the decisions there. And so it's a, it's a fine line and it takes good interpersonal skills to do exactly what you're talking about. I mean, I'm sure that uh, someplace like the Miami Heat, Pat Riley, I would imagine he's talking to like a certain somebody at the role player level, he's not treating them say the way he did LeBron when he was <laughs> trying to get LeBron to sign, Right. And so, you know, and it, it's interesting because that, that does seem to be a factor in like say Dinwiddie, where Dinwiddie is a career six man and he, he would have been perfectly fine coming off the bench as a third guard. And he he came in thinking he's going to be the starter and he's going to be the the, the co-star with Beal.
2: Yeah. I mean, that was a pitch. The team's pitch was Dinwiddie Beal could be a dynamic backcourt. Yeah. And we hear that every single year. Isaiah Thomas and Beal could be a dynamic backcourt. Russell Westbrook and Beal, dynamic backcourt. They got to get off of chasing that because what are they actually – they're not really chasing anything. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I the challenge is like – how do you manage Beal on this? Because Beal might say, look at the roster, say, oh, I need a point guard next to me. <laughs> I think that's where it might take some pitching Beal, where you go to Beal and be like, hey, man, you don't need a point guard next to you because you, like, you know, you might have to sell him a little bit like, hey, uh, we don't need to get you this, this other co-alpha where you could be the alpha in the backcourt, because really that's how he's going to approach it anyway. So like that's and, and uh, Matt, to your point, I think that's exactly right. They need a role player someone who's just going to kind of play defense, hit threes, like you said, a role player. And then you draft a point guard to develop kind of put, put into your system, put into your pipeline, develop him to be that heir apparent at the position. I think that's really the best approach to the point guard position versus trying yet another veteran.
1: And and Larry's thing was always like, he talked about his free agency the year he left for Cleveland. And like, he had multiple conversations with Tommy and they talked about like goals and priorities and, like what you what you want out of life kind of stuff and Ernie just like walked in and was like here's the number like I think Tommy has the salesiness to both sell you know a free agent on the team but also sort of sniff out if this guy's going to be an issue or not and the Dinwiddie one I think they got their arm a little bit twisted by the well Beale wants him thing so Oz to your point like they might just have to like sit Beal down and say like no Trust us, this is what's best for you. It's not a star backward mate, it's a guy that compliments you better.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, what else we got here, guys? I think uh, I've touched on all the stuff I was sort of curious about with you guys. Any any last thoughts on where we're going?
0: Just no. hope they don't start running a whole bunch of post-ups for Zingas. <laughs> Contrary to what Drew Gooden said during the broadcast last night, it just frosted me. The it's not he's not a good post up player. He doesn't mash inside. He's not. He doesn't produce a lot of offense there. He's he's very bad. Uh, being tall does not make somebody good at post
1: up. <laughs> he was like sneaky good in the mid range, though, right? Yeah,
0: he's he's a good shooter, and you know he's good good on the perimeter and that kind of stuff. You just don't need don't. You shouldn't run post-ups for him unless he's just so miserable, unless you run him like, you know, a post-up every quarter. Sure. One, yeah. that's it. And and then, you know, if he suddenly turns into a 75th, 80th percentile efficiency scorer, and they're saying, yeah, go ahead and run some more for him. But we're talking this year, people were talking about him, but oh, well Dallas is running it for me and he's better this season. He's 36 percentile yeah. in efficiency, right?
1: Mm-hmm. He was better uh, as a player, not better at that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, he peaked a couple of, I think it was last season, his peak was, I think he got up to like the 58th percentile inefficiency, which, okay, a little bit better than average. Okay. But, you know, we're still talking about, because post-ups are inefficient generally anyway, that it's a subpar possession in general. And the season before that, he was 28th percentile. So look, it's it's like, don't do not do that. Just find other ways to get him involved in the offense, but but please don't like do a steady diet of post
2: Let me ask one question going back to Pristingus. Uh Kevin, you mentioned earlier that he's kind of been miserable in both places that he's been. Um, in New York, were his issues with the coaching staff and the players or was it simply with management? Because that's yes. – I remember the management issue. I don't remember if there were – I just didn't pay as much attention to kind of the on-court stuff, so I just, I just don't know the answer to that.
0: I think it was kind of both he, – that he was unhappy overall. And okay. It didn't help that he got hurt. Um, you know, at the same time, and he wasn't happy, it, you know, it was just kind of an, uh, an overall, but I think he, it, certainly he was unhappy with the front office. And I don't really remember the exact details of that. I'd have to go back and maybe do some reading or some asking of people to find out what exactly was going on. But,
2: it ha- it, like, I remember there was a bunch of stuff going on with Carmelo at the same time, and it seemed to all intertwine at once where they just, there was just a lot of unhappiness with the front office in general. I just don't know, don't recall the details around it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Knicks were really poorly run so for a very okay. long time, and I'm not sure that they're they really that much better run now, but <laughs> they were they were very badly run. Phil Jackson was a disaster for them.
2: Yeah, this was but the time... Back, oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: This, this is the time frame where they had, yes, they had Carmelo at the beginning, and the two of them kind of tried to occupy the same space on the court, so that was weird, and they basically were telling Carmelo, this is the guy we're going to replace you with, so clearly, there was no love lost there. And then they had a bunch of like guys on one year deals all going in there to try to like up their own value. And it just looked like a train wreck. And like you said, the organization was poorly run. And you've got Phil Jackson calling other players hoodlums. And, you know, like just, it, it just was a mess. And I mm-hmm. can't blame somebody for being unhappy there and not to excuse it away, but. I don't know, like I've been dealing with like a bum back for the last three weeks, and I've been like a miserable person because of it. <laughs> so, like when you don't feel good, you're probably less, you know, like fun to be around for somebody like Porzingis. So I uh, not not to excuse it away, but it, it sounded like less of that in Dallas of just like I hate everyone. Like he had nice things to say about the organization. I, I think the coaches mostly had reasonable things to say about him. It just sounded like he and Luca didn't mesh.
0: Well, yeah, he didn't get along with Rick Carlisle, which is not um, necessarily an issue, but that was common. That was a lot about the postups, and a lot of people don't get along with Rick Carlisle.
2: (laughs) I think, though, coming full circle to what the the original topic of this about tanking, I'll say this, post-deadline, I like the outlook on, like, uh, the macro-level outlook with Beal, I don't love still, and that's not going to change until anything material changes, like, unless they move up into the top for the lottery or something like that but I like the roster more than I did a week ago. It had really been started becoming very difficult to watch this team play because they clearly hated each other and they they hated playing with each other. They were miserable on the court. It was just an awful product to watch. This kind of goes into the whole tanking thing. Like part of me uh, still wants to, I don't have any championship aspirations for this roster. I wish I did, but I just don't. Um, But I still want to see good basketball, you know? So what they have now, conceivably could be fun to watch, which is what I'm looking forward to. Uh, so it's like, it's weird where I want to see good basketball, but I also don't want to become, don't want to sneak into the plane because that ruins our chances of potentially getting a franchise altering player in the lottery. So, you know, it's it's weird, but I feel better about the roster than I did a week ago. So I guess that's a good thing.
0: <laughs> Same. Yeah. I think what, what I'd like to see is sort of like what the team was under, Wes Wes's dad right and the team was under talent under talented that, that team the that Wes unselled senior coach it was basically terrible every year almost every year but they played hard every year every guy right. just gave a great effort and it was even though the team stung even though they lost even though they were getting just beaten up every night they were still kind of fun to watch just because they were scrappy and they fought and they sort of took on a little bit of that competitive personality Mm -hmm. of west Cell. and so if if let's put it this way you can forgive a lot of stuff if the guys are playing hard if they're really out there playing their their hardest and they're getting beat well okay you know but it would be nice to see the two too school too cool for school attitude just gone from this from this uh this this team um, just one little note of caution, you know, they they have looked better since the trade deadline. They've also played like mm-hmm. really bad teams. And right. so. Um,
2: I think, yeah. And I think they're going to, I believe they, at least prior to yesterday, they had the, the easiest schedule remaining in the NBA. So that's just going to be what it is. Um, yeah. just real quick on that,
0: just a point on that. Cause I actually went through quantified that, that, that easiest schedule basically is the, the, what they're facing is about a point per game worse than average so it's still like an average team let's put it this way so their opponents collectively are about a point per game worse than average the wizards are about 2.8 points per game worse than average this season so um it's not like the schedule is easy for them it's just like relatively speaking it's a little bit weaker schedule than the average schedule
1: that's just that's where i was at everybody did the whole like we we can't we can't possibly uh, end up with a lottery pick anymore because the schedule is so easy. They'll luck their way into the playing game. Like we're not good and bad teams have beaten us badly all season. Like, does anyone remember the new Orleans game or that thunder game? Or like, I mean, like, what are we talking about here? Like, this is not some juggernaut roster where like, well, yeah. we're going to beat up on the bums.
0: Yeah. This is like where Kutcher last night was talking about asking the question all seriously. Like, how do you avoid as the wizards how do you avoid playing down to the level of your opponent it's like what <laughs> no, that's not
2: a concern <laughs> well i mean it is just funny in general but also like it goes to speak to how miserable the prior the pre-deadline iteration of the roster was they were losing they lost to the rockets they lost yeah. vet heavy teams losing to, uh they had so many bad losses and they weren't even competitive in a lot of those games so it's just like Like I'm not blaming any of the particular players. I think it was interesting with Wes Unseld. I heard him on the radio. Wes Unseld Jr. basically saying the players who are gone, the blame is not only with them. It's with everyone who's here because Mm -hmm. everyone was a part of it. I don't know how much they believe that, but like the veterans, I and I'm putting it more on the vets. The veterans who were here, the veterans who are left, they all had their role in the shit show that we've seen the first like pre-deadline. And like again, they were never going to be a great team. They still are not a great team or even a good team. But like you said, you could try hard, you could play hard, you could just have a better, like, a better feel to what you're watching. They were miserable to watch. Hopefully they're not miserable to watch going forward. And, like, to your point, Kev, like, look, Wes Unseld senior, uh, Wes Unseld, like, you know, he got them to an elimination game against the bad boy Pistons, what, in, like, 88. They they maximized what little they had on the roster. So if I uh, – That team, actually, cost... they had some players on that team. Yeah.
0: yeah. Daryl Walker was at his, like, uh, you know – almost triple-double kind of thing. They had uh, <laughs> Moses Malone, John Williams was on that team, Manu, uh, yeah. Bernard King.
2: So but he like legitimately yeah, maximized. Yeah. That's yeah. a great team that he went against, and he took him to an elimination game, and people often forget that because the other rosters that he had were pretty bad. I mean, that's just what I want to see. Like, if you play hard, a lot can be forgiven. Just play hard the rest of the way. Play fun, share the ball. Follow Kyle Kuzma's lead <laughs> on the court and off the court. Let him be the leader that Kevin Broom does not want him to be. <laughs>
0: future hall of famer <laughs> so all right um i think we've pretty much beaten it to death today and so um we will um, wrap up here and we'll um we'll be back with uh another episode of, of the soul wizards podcast and with the uh, most forever free you play we